0: He's optimistic, he's aspirational, he can work with Democrats, and since he's running for president as a Republican, he's screwed. I'm Matt Robeson, this is the Balance of Power Roundtable, we're part of the Beyond Politics podcast available wherever you get your podcasts and on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube. Boy, there's more things I have to talk about these days as I introduce the show. That's a good thing, because thank you to all of the new people who are subscribing to us, not just on audio, but our 20,000 subscribers on YouTube. That's sweet. And on that happy note, I'm very happy to welcome back our panel, Alicia Preston, our conservative commentator, analyst, and consultant, and Paul Hodes, former Democratic U.S. congressman. All right this is the show you've been waiting for. The Republican presidential field is finally starting to take shape. Let's start with the guy I teased at the top of the show, Tim Scott, jumping into the presidential field. Alicia, what do you think? I mean, there's a lot to like externally. Is Tim Scott Does he have a
1: chance? Look, does he have a chance? I have no idea. We are very early on in the process. He had a great announcement. It was optimistic. It was positive. Something that is lacking with other members of the primary as it's shaping up. And I really, I enjoyed seeing it. I haven't met him yet. That sounds great to people outside of New Hampshire. The concept of oh, she hasn't met him yet. No, I will meet him. I will meet him because I live in New Hampshire, and that is the beauty of the New Hampshire primary. And we will get to vet the candidates the way that Granite Staters do. And But I'm optimistic about this field as it's developing. I know that Donald Trump is leading by large numbers, but it's really early. It's very new. And we've got a long runway ahead of us to see where this leads.
2: Yeah, the clown show is shaping up. The elephants are being ridden into the tent. The clowns are juggling up front. And Tim Scott, the nice thing about Tim Scott is he's He says he's going to run a faith-based campaign, given the amorality of the Republican Party in general, and Donald Trump in particular. I think a faith-based campaign is refreshing. Somebody who believes, perhaps, in morality and ethics would be a nice twist.
1: I agree with you, believe it or not, on the part of the morality abandonment in the wake of Donald Trump. I am a Republican. I believe in ethics, morality. I'm also a faith-based person. And I will never understand how the party of family values gets behind a man who lacks all morals, ethics, and family values. Uh, But I think our party is starting to move away. And when you look at people like Tim Scott or Mike Pence or others who are faith-based people, and you don't have to be faith-based. It's just, to me, it's refreshing. I think we're looking at hopefully a title change to your point to remind us What we have always believed in the past until the advent of the candidacy of Donald Trump in, what was it, 2015, that we, that the party got behind, which I will never understand because as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to those things, he is everything I do not agree with. If we lived in a
0: sane world, which we do not, Democrats would be very afraid of Tim Scott right now. He is aspirational. He's positive. He has shown that he can work constructively with Democrats. And he's a Black man with a very impressive life story. In a sane world, people would be calling him a Republican Obama. He has an amazing biography and he has real achievement. He's the only Black man to ever serve in both chambers of Congress. We as a party, the Democratic Party, should be afraid of someone like this who doesn't fit neatly into any of the boxes. We like to put people in our country politically. And he has appeal. I can tell you that I certainly would not want to run the Senate campaign against him. I certainly would not want to run the presidential campaign against him. That said, we don't live in a sane world. And I think it's time to to pull out everyone's best friend, the data. The fact of the matter is that, It is very unlikely for anyone polling where Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, Asa Hutchinson, where they're currently polling, even Mike Pence, the former vice president, it's very unlikely historically that they will emerge as the nominee. There's been a lot of analysis on this. And if you're in the low single digits your chances are extremely low i'm a little bit of a negative nelly about the new hampshire primary but my case remains that meeting people up close and personal which is supposed to be the appeal and the charm of new hampshire doesn't change a lot there there are a couple of exceptions there are some there are some notable stories of it has changed things bill clinton is
2: i agree with alicia That if we look at what's happening in the Republican Party, there are Republican voices of moderation and sanity who are beginning to emerge. It's only taken, what, we're 2023, Trump got in 25th, and maybe it takes decades and a generation for a party to reclaim its sanity the challenge alicia that i see is we don't see that the republican party is on a track to reclaim its sanity in time for this presidential primary and this presidential election so given that however we may extol the virtues of a tim scott on the conservative side of the ledger He has not a chance in.
1: Look, we've got nine, 10 months in the runway until the New Hampshire primary and then South Carolina and Iowa and Nevada and all the rest come in. And I think that's a long time. If you look at, let's look at how Donald Trump is running his campaign. So he's got this political action committee called MAGA Inc., which is just childish as a name to begin with, but it's MAGA Inc. And their narrative is to beat the crap out of every other Republican and say things constantly like this primary is over, quote unquote, time for everyone to get in line behind Donald Trump. That is turning so many people off. Like I I haven't had a chance to vote yet. And you're telling me get in line. It's over. They've got an attack ad against Ron DeSantis because when he was in Congress, he supported the concept of removing the income tax for national sales tax. Now we can argue whether that's a good idea or not, but it's a Republican idea. Herman Cain came up with it, what, 20 years ago or more? We've been championing this concept of getting rid of an income tax in exchange for national sales tax for decades, but they're hitting DeSantis for being a Republican. Their message makes no sense right now. They're just throwing anything into the fire to see what burns, and what they're burning is their own candidacy. Classified documents, mostly. Mostly. But I
0: think- <laughs> But I'm bum. <bummed>. Yeah, they <laughs> do have a- That was well done, Felicia. I think it. they're treating it like it doesn't matter because it doesn't really matter. Of the 84 candidates who were recognized in any way in the last 50 years who polled below 10% in polling from the first half of the year before the primaries, which is where we are in the calendar right now, only Donald Trump went on to win his party's nomination. There is a little difference in the parties here. It's happened a little bit more on the Democratic side, because Republicans do love to fall in line. On the Democratic side, you do have George McGovern in 1972. You had Jimmy Carter in 1976, Michael Dukakis in 1988, and Bill Clinton in 1992. So among Democrats, it does happen that that people have this lightning in a bottle, they kind of catch fire in some way, very rarely is that associated with anything having to do with New Hampshire, folks. Sorry, it's just true. There you go. Again. There you go again. There Here's what people
1: again. like who who don't support the New Hampshire primary think. They think the New Hampshire primary you guys haven't chosen the nominee. You guys haven't chosen the president. Sometimes we haven't, but that's not it. We vet it for the rest of the country. The national media comes here to watch conversations between 10 people and a candidate. They watch, they report to others these conversations that cannot take place in 50 states. It's just not feasible, possible, or plausible. Unless it's a CNN
0: town hall, which up anywhere except they decide to pack the room with Trump supporters so that it became right. a Trump well, rally. Just,
1: which was so ridiculous. Who are they kidding? I can't believe I that, by I the way. Know. It just was so disappointed, I think, in yeah. the process. It was yeah. just a farce. Are you but for anyway, real? Come, uh, yeah, Come on, give but me a Something
2: break. Something very important did come out of that town hall. And oh, yes. Not to segue overly quickly, but something very important did, which is that Eugene Carroll, who achieved a verdict, a liability verdict against Trump for defamation, because in the CNN town hall in New Hampshire, Trump defamed her again. So she's gone back to court to say, give me more money because he's defamed me some more. And that is a juicy and delicious tidbit that comes out of, it only could have come out of New Hampshire.
0: All right, that's bully for you, New Hampshire. I, just to get back to the main thing, and actually I do want to segue over something because Alicia, you actually met with Mike Pence and he's a very interesting contrast to the Tim Scott situation and what we're going to talk about in a moment, the Ron DeSantis situation. But there, there is one thing we can say from history and from the data is that it's one thing to be polling in the low to mid single digits three percent five percent this far out there are cases where people can catch but those cases are where you don't already have a big national profile it is much worse to have high name recognition because at this point what polling is generally showing is just name recognition have you heard of the person and so you're in a bad situation if you have high name recognition but you're still polling low in a primary. And that's the situation that Mike Pence is in. He's at a national average of five and a half percent, despite being the most recent Republican vice president. That is not great, but you met with Mike Pence. What did you come away thinking?
1: So again, what I love about New Hampshire, it was about eight of us for a cup of chowder at Geno's, which I'm sure both of you guys know because you've been on the campaign trail in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And there was about eight of us. He spent about an hour with us. And uh, that's something you don't get elsewhere. And I just want to say my biggest takeaway is I have wanted for two plus years, the opportunity to shake the hand of the man that saved democracy and tell him. And I was able to do that. And I shook Mike Pence's hand and I thanked him for January 6th and him doing what he should have done. And I think people don't give him enough credit. He did what he was supposed to do. Under that level of pressure, the Capitol's being stormed, the president's calling you, all that kind of pressure. And he stood his ground. I think history will remember him as an absolute hero for democracy. And my greatest takeaway is I got to tell him I thought that and shake his hand. And it was wonderful. What did he say? He looked at me, nodded and said, thank you for saying that.
0: Let's take a break. We'll be right back.
2: Are you. What did the other seven people say about that? Did they Everyone agree of, with you?
1: I didn't look at them. I looked at him mm-hmm. and no one else said anything. And that was fine. I know a couple of the people that were in that room are supporters of his former boss but no one countered, no one said anything else. And it was a pretty cool moment, I have to be honest. But I sat next to him and he was there for about an hour and everyone asked him various questions. He answered them all honestly, concisely, smartly. And what was interesting is after about the first three minutes, I didn't feel like I was sitting next to a former vice president who will go down in the history books. I felt like I was sitting next to an uncle. He was casual. He was very informed, very smart. He wasn't afraid to potentially break with the people at the table on his opinions. And that is the beauty, again, Matt, of the New Hampshire primary. It was very real. It wasn't private. Other people were there. People were coming over. And I walked away. I always liked Mike Pence, but I walked away really feeling like I had just spent 60 minutes with a man who, whether he will be, should be president. And I'm not endorsing him. I'm an undecided voter in the Republican Party. But if he were to get the nomination, I can say the man is holy qualified for the job in every way I can imagine.
0: Let me follow up and ask you, first of all, you said to Mike Pence, what I as a Democrat would have said to Mike Pence and what Americans probably should say to Mike Pence. So good for you. That's, it's not easy when you meet someone of that stature to have your wits about you and to collect your thoughts and to say something meaningful. I know because when I was 18, I screwed that up when I met Bill Clinton, and uh, I didn't manage to get out anything coherent at all. And some of our listeners may argue that continues to be the case every day. But let's contrast your experience with Mike Pence with the now viral video of Ron DeSantis walking into. The Red Arrow Diner, and I'll try to splice it in here for our audio listeners. I'm sure our video folks have probably seen this. The Red Arrow Diner is a New Hampshire institution that's best known for being a stereotypical diner stop if you're a politician. It also features disgusting food.
1: I it's think just it has the, the best corned beef and hash in the East Coast. I love I've it.
0: eaten it. And that was about four years ago. And I'm just getting over the indigestion. It's best corn, corn beef
2: the best corned beef hash in the United States is actually served in Exeter, New Hampshire at the diner that's at the old railway station in Exeter. There you should it, go. If you've seen I the movie Spaceballs,
0: okay, this is... Basically, the Red Arrow Diner is the model for, like, you sit down at the diner, you get the special, and then an alien pops out of your stomach because <laughs> oh. that's what they do. So, Ron, it sounds like a setup for a joke. Ron DeSantis walks into a diner in New Hampshire. I'm going to play the clip. You just can't imagine, hello, human people it looks like you are enjoying food, which is nourishing for you. <laughs> my name is Ron DeSantis. And then a real human says to him, how are you doing? He I, said,
2: I, "Wonder." God. he said he was wonderful. Wonderful.
0: And I've never wonderful. heard someone say that they were wonderful with less enthusiasm. Wonderful. wonderful. Oh <laughs> my wonderful. God. But it it's just, it's, remember, he knows that this is like meeting of the public and like in New Hampshire, where you're supposed to be doing these things.
2: How are you doing? Good, sir. Wow, look at this. What what guys Hi, How are you guys? Hi. Good to see you. To so what you do you got? And... Go right over here? Yes. Okay, good deal. good deal. Good deal. Wow, you. crowded, huh? Uh, good, I'll hey, how you are you doing? doing? It smells really good, I'll tell you that. Okay. So we'll do it, okay. I'm Tim Amson. Okay, how are
0: you? I'm wonderful, great to be up in New Hampshire. Can you contrast for us? Your experience with white pets with. Whatever the fuck that was.
1: <laughs> I saw the video. I wasn't there. Look, these situations are awkward and weird. And I've been in the, these scrums with presidential candidates. And what is captured on video, I'm just going to be honest. You can't always put it in the dynamic of what's happening. The people meeting these candidates are sometimes awkward. The candidates then respond awkwardly. They're difficult social settings. They just are. And there's cameras in your face at all times, both for the person
2: It's the cauldron of fire that every candidate candidate must walk through in New Hampshire to prove that they have the personality that one would want to sit down with them and, quote, have a beer, unquote. It is the ultimate firewalking test that every candidate must pass in New Hampshire. Actually, I'm going to defend Ron DeSantis. I don't care.
0: I don't care if he can kibitz with people in the Red Arrow Diner. I do not give a shit. Because what I really care about is do I want this person leading the executive branch agencies? Do they have discernment when it comes to federal policies? Do I want them managing negotiations with foreign powers who may be hostile to us, even though he called Ukraine a regional brush war, etc.? Do I want his finger on the button? I actually don't care if you can glad hand with people in the Red Arrow Diner. I don't think think that's a relevant factor Listen, with which to weigh the leader. Of the I board. agree with
2: you. Ron DeSantis was an awkward puppet. Let's face it. He has the personality of a broom. Really, it's it's unbelievable for somebody who's been in public life. And if you've seen any of his press conferences, he's just rude and impolite to people. He doesn't know how to interact with humans. Maybe he's not. A human.
1: I don't really I care is- about social awkwardness when it comes to candidates. I'm actually with Matt. I can, We disagree on what a good president looks like, but we agree that the social awkwardness is not one of the factors I consider.
0: First of all, we can agree that Ron DeSantis is the feta cheese of the Republican nomination.
1: You can't say that because feta is my favorite cheese. Again? And I haven't decided if DeSantis is again, my favorite cheese. I haven't decided are. if he's my favorite cheese or not.
0: Listen, I think you're going to face a bigger existential crisis coming up, my friend, and I'm here for you as your Jewish therapist, I got to say, you're going to have to contend with the fact that you have massive case of cognitive dissonance over the fact that you are going to consider yourself still a Republican, a member of a party that will nominate Donald Trump three times to be your presidential standard bearer. That is I
1: a am not saying that won't happen. I'm saying, and I am, I will say that the there's a greater chance that will happen than it won't today.
2: Here's, the story. Said, but, here's the,
1: the story. It may not. How can Republicans
0: consider themselves still Republicans? Let's get ourselves back on track here. I've already introduced the numbers here. It, it, the signs are not good, okay? If, if we're going to magic ape all this, the signs are not good if you are polling certainly below 5%, and even if you're polling below 10% at this point. That's just what history tells us. But in the final analysis, we've got Ron DeSantis announcing, we've got Haley in, we've got Hutchinson in, we've got Tim Scott in, Vivek Ramaswamy in. Do any of these, if you had to bet on Trump or the field right now, who would you bet on?
2: Donald Grumbelkinski.
1: I'm going to hold my ante back because it's just too early to place that bet.
2: Donald Trump. I think
0: it's, I just, I think the odds are so far and away in favor of Trump Against They are today. Is-
1: Look, if the primary were held today, Donald Trump would win the New Hampshire primary and would get the nomination across the country. If the yeah, but he's going to be facing,
2: he's going to be facing Marianne Williamson or RFK
1: well, on the Democrat. No, I think Alicia's making an important
0: point, which is if you are Tim Scott, if you are Ron DeSantis, if you're Ron DeSantis, you've got a lot of problems. If you're Ron DeSantis, You need something major to change. If things are going the way they are, you're going to lose. And so the question is what is going to change that can change the story? And look, the future is unknown. We could hit a default. Let me ask
2: Alicia a question Is it enough, Alicia? If let's just assume that coming down the pike are indictments in Georgia and uh, against Trump, and perhaps federal indictments on the classified documents or January sixth or both, and that's coming between now and I don't know uh, September, or uh, in coming between now and September, is that enough to change change this change the narrative to change the scenario to give Republicans? pause. Is that
1: enough? No, that's not what will change it. Look, a few more people will peel off every time one of these indictments or charges comes down, but that's not going to be what changes it. Let me tell you what I think will change it. People are getting tired. It's still tough out here for middle America. It's tough out here for the middle class financially, economically and otherwise, with health care costs, with grocery bills, with gas prices. We're coming in the summer. Things will lighten up for people a little bit. But here's where people are starting to turn and you're going to see numbers change over the next Four months, I think. In four months from today, let's look at where the numbers are. I think Trump will have lost a chunk. He might still be in the lead. He'll have lost a chunk. And here's where. He's offering nothing. It's vengeance politics. And that may work for 22% of the Republican base. That might be enough. But the rest that are polling somewhere between 47 and 52 in the Republican primary, they're going to start peeling off because it's getting harder and harder to live day-to-day. Savings accounts are depleting. They're going to run out. Inflation is continuing. It's gotten a little better, but there are marks that it's now going to go back up again or indicators. So what's going to happen is Trump will continue to offer nothing but his vengeance tour. MAGA Inc., which is playing heavier than any other candidate in the state of New Hampshire, is offering nothing but ridicule and criticism of things that go completely against Republican ideals. And people are going to get tired of being offered no hope for the future. And I think that's where the peel will come.
0: Let's take a break. We'll be right back. That's reasonable. That is a reasonable theory in my mind. It aligns with what seems to be the strategy that you see from all of these contenders. They're not engaging Trump right now. They're engaging each other. Now, that could be a problem or they could be right. They could be seeing this as a two-stage race where first they have to thin the field and they have to win the race to be seen as the alternative to Trump. If you were Tim Scott's campaign manager right now, what you might be saying, if I'm hearing you right, Alicia, is look, let's not worry about anything else other than getting this down to Scott versus Trump. If we can get on a stage, if we can have this be a contrast between your life story, his life story. Your offering of hope and positivity and being forward looking, his offering of negativity, grievance, and being backward looking, you have a chance. You also can make a credible case, Tim Scott, that you can peel off a higher percentage of African American voters than any other Republican candidate in history. And that hits Democrats where it hurts. Paul, you and I just had Alex Ivey and Mario Broussard, two polling experts who focus on uh, Black America and uh, how public issues are hitting them, the politics of being a Black voter in America. And they are telling us that there is a flashing yellow sign right now, especially among young voters, that they're they're open. They're open. They're not particularly ideological. There's a real, what have you done for me lately? Tim Scott would have a chance in that scenario. I guess the question becomes, can he emerge as that alternative, as that person.
2: What he may emerge as is Trump and Tim. The unlikely combination of Trump and Tim. Tim kind of softens Trump. I don't see it.
0: I don't see that. I don't see it.
2: There's no way if you- Did you see see McCain and Palin coming? I didn't know who Sarah Palin
1: was before she became VP. But I don't see it. Look, if Tim Scott, I'll just say this. If Tim Scott were to join a ticket With Donald Trump, than everything he purports to be, he is not, and I think he is who he purports to be.
0: I think there is at least Alicia. What you laid out is at least a theory of the case that makes sense that hangs together. I don't know if it'll work, but it, it. I agree with you. That's probably what's inside the heads of Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley may have a slightly different case. She might be Paul. You're like, hey. I'm right here for VP. Yeah. That might be a that might be I a reasonable choice.
2: There's a I wild mean, card in all of this, which is Chris Sununu, the governor of the great state of New Hampshire, who is 61% committed to running for president, although he hasn't announced, who comes in to moderate the Republican Party, who's both moral, ethical, sane, conservative, but not a whack job, who says. Who's better than a governor of the great state of the first in the nation Republican prime to be your next president. Why? I, don't, I don't think he stands no, up. For-
1: he's going to announce in June, whether he's mm-hmm. going to run or not or announce or not. announce. So he's going to release his decision. I think it's certainly leaning that way. We all know I'm a huge fan of governor. Chris Nunu. He's got a tough path because he's not going to win the new Hampshire primary. And while that makes perfect sense that he wouldn't, because of the Republican support for Donald Trump. The fact that he won his reelection by over 60 percent, people from outside of New Hampshire are going to say, "Wait a minute, but he didn't win his own state." And that doesn't tell the whole picture. It's like watching sports, and you see the final score and you go, "Okay, that score doesn't tell the story of the game. That's why
2: the New Hampshire primary doesn't really count anymore. That's why Robo- it doesn't really matter.
1: But I
0: think for this scenario, for a licious scenario to work, you need to you, you have to think about the calendar. remember the insight. This is a delegate race, okay? It's not really about national polling. It's not really about momentum. None of that matters. At the end of the day, it's about delegates. In order to amass the delegates that you need to become the nominee, you need to pare this down to you versus Trump early enough that you don't split the anti-Trump or the Trump alternative vote, and you can amass the delegates if he if by the time you get through, I mean, it, it. this has to be winnowed down pretty soon after New Hampshire for any of these folks to have a shot. Um, and if you're a Sununu, I agree, that's strategically a big problem that you, where are you going to get the momentum to have it turn into you versus Trump? I, of everyone right now, if there were going to be an alternative, I wouldn't be averse to putting my money on Tim Scott. I don't think Where I think it matters is that there's the invisible primary. That's what political scientists call the invisible primary to get the support of party insiders and most notably donors. This is particularly important on the Republican side, which relies more on the billionaire set proportionally than Democrats do, which are more fundraising grassroots based. And if you're Ron DeSantis and you have a hard time closing the deal in that invisible primary then they're going to start to look at other alternatives if you want to put your money on someone who's not Trump. I think of all of these people, Tim Scott has the best chance of becoming that person, but you've got to winnow it down so that it's you versus Trump. I'll make one prediction right now. Trump has made some noises about not participating in Republican primary debates. I think he's going to change his mind about that. Oh, I do too. I could be be wrong.
1: I'm with you. I think think he's
0: because it's such a massive opportunity for him to look at who's my biggest threat and to train all of his guns. And he's done this before. He's absolutely destroyed people by belittling them, mocking them, and undercutting them on stage. And it's just—it's such an opportunity to say, oh, you're getting some momentum, Tim Scott. I'm lowering the hammer on you. Oh, Nikki Haley, you seem to be looking a little frisky in the primary. Now all my guns are trained on you. I think he's got to take advantage of that. He's also
1: just an attention whore. He's not going to turn away an opportunity to be on camera. You're being pretty heady about it. I think it's more simple than that.
0: Well, he does Uh. have some professionals around him these days. Mm. So you know. I don't think he
1: listens to anybody. Now, look, just on the Sununu thing, I'd like to note, I think he could be a viable candidate if, and maybe he will be, but. Trump is an enigma in this. It changes traditional thinking on how all of this works. And, but he could emerge. Look, he's got a lot of smart people around him. If he announces he's running for president, then a lot of smart people around him have convinced him that there is a path to victory. And that we've all in the campaign offices before their campaigns with the do I or don't I. And the number one question, is there a path to victory? And so if he announces, there are a lot of smart people that have said, here is your path to victory, sir. So that's all the wait and see.
0: All right, on that note, and that's a very intelligent note, let's leave it there. There's obviously going to be much more fodder for discussion as we roll forward, but let's leave it. And for Paul and Alicia and our sponsors at Alka-Seltzer, who will be helping all of the patrons of the Red Arrow Diner. Thank
2: God I could use some.
1: Does Alka-Seltzer after the Plus Red Arrow? that sponsorship? Because that's really good when you have a cold.
0: I'm a Pepto-Bismol man myself. We will see you next time on Johnson Power.